It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello, and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who are well read. My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm the general pediatrician here at Blank Children's Hospital in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. I am really excited because I am meeting on the podcast for the first time one of my Twitter friends. It's always good to have friends on Twitter when you are advocating for vaccines. And he's not just a vaccine guy. He does so much more than that. So we have Keith Law on. Keith is a baseball stats guy. I don't know much about baseball, but I know he's got all sorts of baseball bona fides and he's got some ESPN stuff in his past and he's written a book which is very important for today so welcome Keith tell everyone what I got wrong about who you are <laughs> Thank you. Well, you got the gist of it I have been a baseball writer and analyst for ESPN since 2006 I particularly focus on prospects so minor league players on down to college and high school players mm-hmm. for the draft every year I did write a book Uh, about two and a half years ago called Smart Baseball, which was focused on baseball statistics and explaining to people what statistics are good, which ones are maybe less useful, the kind of ones we often, those of us who are baseball fans, who grew up baseball fans, we grew up with certain stats that don't actually do a very good job of telling us whether players have been productive or not. Hmm. And uh, I have another book coming out next year that uh, I would tell you about, except it has no title, and I still have to write about two-thirds of it. Is it going to have anything to do with vaccines? No. Okay. No, unfortunately. Maybe that'll be the third book. There you go. If we're not all dead of an entirely preventable disease by then. Oh. Well, I've been vaccinated, so it won't be me dying. (laughs) This is true. Yes, I am fully vaccinated, as is my daughter. How do you make the leap from being a baseball guy to being someone who advocates for immunization? It's, it was obviously, it was never intended, but I was just generally active on Twitter for, I mean, I'm talking about seven, eight, nine years ago, and would see stuff go by that would make me angry. I wasn't really even that aware of how big this, you know, vaccine denialism movement was, or even to what extent science denialism was a thing. And I think these people have come, they've crawled out from under their rocks a bit more in recent years, maybe been more emboldened by voices in government or voices in Hollywood, maybe help advocating for the same nonsense. Mm-hmm. But I would see that stuff combined. I would just comment on it. I would just say, well, this is dumb. Yeah, of course, vaccines work. No vaccines don't cause autism. Stop it. I mean, that's just sort of a reflexive reaction I have to things that are obviously not true and to people who espouse them. And I mean, that stuff happens in baseball too. There's all sorts, there are still myths. I address some of these in smart baseball too. The belief that there are certain hitters who are just better in the clutch that's not true the belief that there's the belief in something called lineup protection that you will perform better as a hitter if the hitter behind you in the lineup is better and thus provides protection the pitcher has to pitch differently to you because the guy on deck is better we've actually studied this stuff and found out that it's not true right if that if that were true if we had data actual evidence that said it was true then of course i would espouse it but i just follow the evidence and that's true in all sorts of fields. And my science advocacy, for lack of a better phrase for it, on Twitter really ramped up about five years ago when I got into, unfortunately, a rather well-publicized Twitter 
argument with a then colleague of mine who was advocating creationism. And I'm like, again, oh, no, that's wrong. Um, it's too, you know, at the time, what was it? 2014. Like, let's not mm -hmm. be children here. We know that's not true. We have all sorts of evidence. And he brought out, I mean, it's, it, I mean that debate is very analogous to the vaccine denialism stuff. They say the same five wrong things over and over again, and you simply parry them. And even though you've won on accuracy, you don't really convince a lot of these people because they they believe what they choose to believe. And that was very much the case with him. He was asking for where are the transitional fossils and why are there still monkeys? And the same wrong stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, after that, a lot of people, there were a few people who were mad at me for taking the side of truth, science, evolution. But a lot of people said, I'm glad you did that. I'm glad, a lot of my readers said, I'm glad you stood up for that. And so I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. It seems like the right thing to do. That is so interesting to me now to, you know, we've talked about kind of science denialism in various areas, but now to hear about what is essentially science denialism in sports mm -hmm. is fascinating to me. <laughs> um, and I will be the first to admit that I don't, have I don't have a lot of sports knowledge sure. but to hear this how this permeates kind of everything is really interesting it's great to have you on the show today thank you it's it's a very baseball well I think it's probably true for all sports but my just speaking of my baseball experience I used to work for a team in the front office for about four and a half years mm -hmm. and up until very very recently it was the as closed a group as you could possibly find they would simply hire people who looked exactly like them. The pool of potential employees was almost entirely white American-born men who'd played professional baseball somewhere. And so, of course, when you do that, you get a ton of groupthink, and they simply pass on their conventional wisdom from one generation to the next, and people don't ask a lot of questions. And people who ask questions are often ostracized for doing so. Because how dare you question the conventional wisdom? This is how we've always done things. But eventually enough people started to ask those questions because they realized, well, if everyone else is doing the wrong thing and we do the mm -hmm. right thing, maybe we'll win more games. So now having done some kind of vaccine advocacy and debunking, what's the response been that you've perceived from doing that? Is it similar to in terms of the kind of sports debunking and the creationism uh, debunking or has it been different? Yeah, I've gotten less pushback from, on vaccines specifically, less pushback from people who already followed me on social media and or read my stuff, whether they read my stuff at ESPN or things I write uh, for other outlets or I'm even on my own site. It, it, whereas there are certainly plenty of people who deny evolution or deny climate change, I get a lot of that it seems like there's less of a divide among my readership or my followers when it comes to vaccines. I get very, very occasional. There's one guy I'll never forget. He told me to vaccines were harmful. Just take more vitamin C and buy Bitcoin, um, <laughs> which was bad. It turns out it was mm. very bad advice across the board. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but although if Bitcoin prevented measles, that would, right. I, then maybe I'd buy some. Probably about uh, as likely as the vitamin C. I would agree with that completely, yes. And so it's funny because now, even within the baseball industry, there are people who will see me at games, perhaps, and make a joke about my tendency to tweet about vaccines in particular and just sort of pro-science 
commentary because I've done, again, evolution, climate change, all of these things. When I have one of those shirts that I think Neil deGrasse Tyson, obviously he's not had the greatest 48 hours, but the shirt that his like vaccines work, chemtrails are not a thing, we've been to the moon, evolution is real, stand up for science. Bought that shirt, tweeted or put a photo on Instagram, myself wearing the shirt, and the comments coming back were almost entirely positive. Like my followers, if you follow me, you're probably one of those people who just says, I'm gonna go where the evidence takes me. Mm -hmm. And if the evidence tells me the thing I always believed is wrong, then I need to change what I believed. I think that's really wonderful on two fronts. One is, that you're creating a culture of normalization mm -hmm. around vaccines in a community that isn't primarily focused on vaccines, which is really, really, really important. Mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of like, you know, when we create a culture of not littering in our neighborhoods, even though we're not just about not littering in our neighborhoods. So it's it's a really important thing to do. But the other thing I really love is this sort of marrying of how to look at the world through a sports angle, which, you know, I'm raising boys. Um, my my kiddo is really more of a basketball kid, and I don't mm -hmm. get that sport either. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I you know, I know how sports can be such an important entryway for kids on a lot of different levels. And to talk to kids about following evidence in sports, I think is really cool. And to talk to adults about following evidence in sports is really cool to lead them to understanding science and really understanding a whole worldview where we're basing our health decisions and our life decisions and our ideologies and even our sports decisions on what the evidence actually says. So thank you for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's it, it, People sometimes say to me when they see me tweet on one of these topics, you know, don't ever change or, you know, I'm glad you are the way you are. I just say I couldn't be anybody else, right? right? This is, this comes very naturally to me. My father was an electric, is, well, he's retired now, but he was an electrical engineer. He's a science guy. And I was sort of raised to think that way. Even to be, you know, you, you hear from a lot of people. I know Richard Dawkins has talked about sort of raising his child to be questioning and to be a critical thinker. It wasn't so much that. It was just sort of, hey, if the evidence says this, then that's then that's right. right. That's just kind of how I always thought about things. And you know, just to something you you'd said there about normalization of some of this thinking too, there's such a strong conformity bias in humans mm -hmm. that we need to make it clear that these vaccine deniers, in addition to being wrong and being cranks and often being uh, grifters, mm -hmm. that there really aren't that many of them. Right. They're the they're the oddballs. They're the extreme outliers. Most people just vaccinate their kids sure. because most people aren't crazy. And so, you know, just to remind everyone, yeah, those denialists, those anti-vaxxers, yeah, they're really loud, but there actually aren't that many of them. If there were, we'd have far bigger problems with some of these vaccine preventable diseases. But we need to be loud too, just to drown them out and to make it clear, no, no, no. You want to conform with everybody else? Sometimes conformity is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Then vaccinate your kids. It's the right thing to do. Most of us do it because it's what our doctors tell us to do. And our doctors tell us to do that because that's what the evidence says. Couldn't have said it better. And you know, I actually think that I came to vaccines because of my father as well. But he was more of an anti-conspiracy theory guy. And this all goes back to a day in November 1963 where one of his teachers blamed him for the assassination of John F. Kennedy, which is an entirely different story. Wait, your dad killed John F. Kennedy? Well, it's a long story. Basically, <laughs> he was in junior high. He got in trouble during lunch. 
Uh, he had to sit there and wait for the teacher to come and yell at him, and it took like <laughs> an hour or two. And when the principal finally came back, he said, the president's been shot. Look what you've done. And I always joke to my father, <laughs> who developed this sort of lifelong obsession about debunking the conspiracy theories around the assassination, that it's because he was trying to exonerate himself for all these years. Um, I, I, all I've taken from this conversation is that your father was actually in the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, this goes deep. This explains a lot. As a as a thirteen year old, I'm wondering what else he's responsible for. I mean, right? Who knows? Yeah, he was busy. But I actually turned into an English major and not a science person. <laughs> and you are a writer, and so mm-hmm. with all of these things married together, I thought I would invite you to play a game called Offit Wakefield or Dan Brown. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm assuming this is Andrew Wakefield and not not Tim Wakefield, Correct. who's a baseball player. I realize that joke's probably not going to land very right well over with, my head <laughs> since you guys aren't sports ball people. Oh yeah, yes. go sports ball! Can't wait yes. until the season finale. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a series of excerpts. I'm sorry, I'm just going to read you one excerpt at a time. And okay, um, you and Nathan. Nathan doesn't know anything about this game. You and Nathan have to mm-hmm. tell me whether you think it's. Paul Offit from one of his mm-hmm. books, Andrew Wakefield from his book Callous Disregard, which he wrote mm. as his first attempt to exonerate himself. Of course. Or Dan Brown from my all-time least favorite book, The Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code. Oh, it's terrible. It's oh, I'm. So, it's so bad. It, it is a, an awful, awful book. Yeah. Um, On multiple levels, mm-hmm. it is a poorly written yes. book. With terrible characters mm-hmm. and a banal, predictable plot. And I, I have to tell you that I came up with this idea, but I had forgot that one of the things that Dan Brown does is he calls all of his male characters by their names mm-hmm. <laughs> almost exclusively. He doesn't use pronouns for them. Oh, really? It's really obnoxious, and I wow. didn't realize He'd it. never watched Schoolhouse Rock, right? Yeah. Don't you remember Rufus Xavier Sarsaparilla? Absolutely. <laughs> Right? I'm the English <laughs> Absolutely. See, that's like God. And now I like Dan Brown even less. I mean, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, about three more reasons to dislike him. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start you guys with an easy one. So, we're not buzzing in, are you? Nope. But you didn't get a buzzer. I have one right here. Cool. Excerpt number 1. There is no place for indulging futile displacement activity, sanctimonious posturing, and self-protectionism. In the battle for the hearts and minds of the public, you have already lost. Do you want me to keep going, or should I stop right there? Wow. I'll vote Wakefield. Oh, you were supposed to go first. Sorry. Well, that's okay. I was actually going to say Dan Brown just because it's so badly written. (laughs) But see, that doesn't rule out Wakefield. No, that doesn't rule out (laughs) Wakefield. Yeah, he's not actually good at anything either. Let me keep going and see, Keith, if you um, are going to stick with Dan Brown or if Nathan's going to switch over to Dan Brown. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, you have already lost. Why? Because the parents are right. Their stories are true. Their children's brains oh, well, are damaged. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? The appeal to emotion that all these, you know, the parents know. I saw the light go out of his eyes. Oh. Yeah, that's, that is classic denialism. I mean, I see the light go out of my children's eyes when they get hungry, so... Right? <laughs> and they're tired. I also actually, like, legitimately, my daughter had to have a 
medical tests on her knee turned out she had some kind of strange infection she's fine mm. she totally got over it but they gave her forgot what the actual sedative was the possible it was ketamine so that they could get her in the mri too which is very little and yeah literally like you see her her eyes just kind of rolled back a little bit because the drug hit her system right like there that is yeah i saw that i did not immediately like run to the somehow they'd given my child autism well and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you talk about like jenny mccarthy has a has a story like that where she like uses this term of like i think the one of the original like the soul was gone from their eyes i think she said boom in her narrative like instantly like this isn't a vaccine isn't like uh, a medicine that you're giving for sedation it doesn't get into your system right. that fast there's not even right. that much of it you're not right. going to have a boom like that mm -hmm. uh, right that just doesn't make any physiologic sense it hasn't had a chance to do anything but you, you see her narrative kind of change over time these people, and I mean, it's hard to generalize because, the, I mean, they're all cranks, but they're all, a lot of them are cranks for different reasons, but they don't really know what vaccines are. That's one of the biggest things. Even when I've run into the occasional parent or friend on Facebook who tries this nonsense, they don't know what they are. They think a vaccine is a drug. They don't know what, they actually understand what, what the vaccine does, how the immune system works, which I actually view as a bit of an educational failing. Um, our science education in this country mm -hmm. is probably just not very good to begin with, but we really don't do a good job of explaining this very fundamental thing, probably because we also just kind of take them for granted. Sure. And, you know, we try to do a pretty good job on this podcast of kind of differentiating between those that are vaccine hesitant mm -hmm. and, you know, don't necessarily understand vaccines very sure. well. Um, and those that are truly anti-vaccine and, and, and advocate against mm -hmm. vaccines, which, and both of them have, an informational problem. Although I think when we talk about the true like anti-vaccine leadership, I think there's a lot more willful ignorance going on there where, sure. you know, they can understand the, the facts pretty well and are doing mm -hmm. their best to dodge them and pull out the, you know, things that, that create doubt and fear, even though I honestly believe sometimes and a lot of times that these leaders know that what they're doing is dishonest. Yep. And so you've got that going on. I think that's what you've got with Wakefield. You've got that with RFK Jr. You've got that with um, others that are considered that are even not even that right. high up that we see. All right. I'm going to move you guys along to our second excerpt here. Again, your choices are Paul Offit, Andrew Wakefield, or Dan Brown. During World War II, Japan's most southern island, Kyushu, was home to a chemical company that dumped its waste into Minamata Bay. Within months, fish began to float in the bay. The cats started jumping into the sea and dying. Local residents called them cat suicides. Seagulls fell from the sky. By the early 1950s, people had begun to suffer unexplained numbness in their hands and feet, muscle weakness, and a narrowing of their field of vision. Some had difficulty walking, swallowing, and hearing. Others trembled uncontrollably. In extreme cases, insanity, paralysis, coma, and death followed. By 1956, epidemiologists had found the cause. Mercury dumped in the water had been concentrated in shellfish, poisoning consumers. Kyushu's chemical factory continued to pour mer mercury into industrial wastewater until 1968. 
By 2001, the mercury had poisoned 3,000 Japanese and killed 600. All right, Keith. I think that's off it. I agree. I think this is in the one that he wrote about science gone bad, although I think he's mentioned the Minamata disease in some of his earlier books as well. Yeah, it's from Autism's False Prophets. Yeah. Yeah. In the in the section, sort of introducing the idea that thimerosal in vaccines was related to autism, which of course it isn't. Right. <laughs> oh, spoiler! Because I think he gets into in that how there it's not as if there was a, a an outbreak right. of autism right. with all this mercury poisoning, right? So, right. yeah. And one of the big distinctions that's important to make is that a lot of people in the anti-vaccine community will conflate the symptoms of mercury poisoning with Mm -hmm. autism and they really are very different for example the field of vision narrowing isn't Mm -hmm. a thing that happens paralysis isn't a thing that happens all right let's move on to our third excerpt the remorse that gripped her was powerful and sudden a deep sadness laced with guilt The man had reached out to her so many times over the past 10 years, yet she had remained immovable. Pause right there. Any ideas? (laughs) That's got to be. I feel like you got to go Dan Brown. Yeah, right. It just seems, well, also because it kind of seems irrelevant to the vaccine stuff, and it is badly written. It is Dan Brown. Also, the, you know, female has a pronoun used for her because. Because women are props. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, what's so sad. Our fourth excerpt, I get a lot of hate mail. Every week, people send letters and emails calling me stupid, callous, an SOB, a prostitute. People ask, how in the world can you put money before the health of someone's baby? Or how can you sleep at night? Or why did you sell your soul to the devil? They say, I don't have a conscience, am directly responsible for the death and damage of hundreds of children, and have blood on my hands. They pray that the love of Christ will one day flood my darkened heart. They warn that my day of reckoning is coming. That would be noted baby killer Paul Offit. This actually sounds a lot like an excerpt from the podcast Welcome to Night Vale, if you've ever listened to that, which is one of my favorite <laughs> podcasts right now, but which is kind of a uh, humorous X-Files city news report mm-hmm. thing. Anyway... I also think that it's off it. It is. Well, you guys are tying it up. How yeah. am I going to know who to deliver the prize to? Okay. Um... The prize is the journey that we all took to get here, right? It's the friends we made along friends the way. Friends we made along the right way. There. there we yes. go. So I chose that one because, you know, Paul Offit does get an awful lot of hate directed his way. And I wonder... You know, as much as Andrew Wakefield puts himself up as a martyr for the cause, he certainly has never talked about getting emails from people talking about how he's going to be, you know, have his day of reckoning come or people inquiring about um, his sleep habits, which is an it's always interesting. I've been asked about how I sleep, too, which is Hmm. fascinating to me that they're really concerned about my sleep habits. On a pile of pharmaceutical company money. Right. Oh yeah. Like all shells. <laughs> because it's extra yeah. soft. <laughs> right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> we are on number five here. Sinking low, out over Crystal Mountain, the sun still hurts the land. 
The cedars draw on parched earth, and the sun is gone. Stars creep into the night sky, and the forest begins to move. My children are asleep, and my beer is cold. From the lops of Willie Nelson, the ballad of Bobby McGee falls with the salty melancholy, I'd trade all my tomorrows for a single yesterday. And for a moment, I am there on the cold, wet precipice of the Houndsguile Viaduct, 180 feet above oblivion, as a small boy looks questioningly into my face, slips my hand, and is gone. feel like you're trying to trick us and that that's wakefield <laughs> even though it's the terrible writing style it's wakefield this is like in his prologue of of callous disregard or whatever it is wakefield i've, I've read this book so. <laughs> oh i was gonna gosh. say you guys have actually read the book right it was a long time ago yeah, yeah. <laughs> i would use it to like start my charcoal grill or something <laughs> but you guys actually read the thing i actually have to admit that i've read more of the Da Vinci Code <laughs> than I have of Callous Disregard. I made it through both of those books and most of Offit, so I, I feel pretty good about my knowledge base for this That's game. great. Right. Last one. As if some kind of demon were controlling his body, the boy walked to the kitchen and grasped a butcher knife. <laughs> Hypnotically, he moved to the bedroom where his father lay on the bed in a drunken stupor. Without a word, the boy stabbed him in the back. His father cried out in pain and tried to roll over, but his son stabbed him again, over and over, <laughs> until the apartment fell quiet. Uh, yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah, that escalated quickly. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming that's Dan Brown. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Dan Brown, although I don't know what the scene is. I don't know what the scene is either, but it's Dan Brown. Okay. Unless Paul Offit has started a fiction writing career that I didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last one, mm -hmm. guys. Orenstein had chosen the vaccine safety data link because of its unique <laughs> properties. The VSD, which tracks patients belonging to several health maintenance organizations, primarily in the West and Southwest, contains a vast network of computerized patient information. Orenstein reasoned that the CDC researchers could systematically check the VSD database and compare the amount of mercury children received in vaccines with the risk of various neurological problems. The idea made a lot of sense. That's Dan Brown's news novel, The Dove Vaccine Code. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh my God, that would be awful. That was a dad joke. <laughs> Did you get the guy, the guy a couple years ago who had written the book about the evils of vaccines, but it was a novel? And he kept tweeting me and Facebook messaging me, like wanting me to read it and write a review of it and promote it. Did you ever get I that? I never saw that. No, I don't remember that. You know, I'm good at just ignoring people because I have children, so yeah. I just ignored him, but <laughs> it was pretty terrible. So that was Paul yeah. Offit um, describing, of course, what led to the Simpsonwood thing, <laughs> which, of course, was this ultra-secretive thing where they decided how they were going to switch all the data to hide right. the fact that, yeah. or something, yes. right? So secret oh. that they published them in. Right. You guys tied. I think we won. Because I let Nathan 
you know, choose the same answers as Keith. He just totally oh, yeah. cribbed off. I'm used to you. it. I did. So <laughs> the great thing is, is that you have won. I'm going to send you um, both more Dan Brown books. Oh, great! That's great. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Been looking for kindling. Karen, we need lapel pins. I think lapel. I'm an avid listener of the NPR puzzle. Uh, weekend puzzle and so I really want my lapel pin my life goal is to get on there and get my lapel pin so <laughs> I really feel like we need lapel pins for our contestants okay but in order to do a contest I'd have to like personally buy them because Voices for Axions can't buy <laughs> prizes for things I'd have to just be like here's just a oh, gift for okay. no reason you didn't win it <laughs> 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 well Keith I hope you learned something about writing that you can implement into your next book <laughs> Yeah, um, sort of in the how mm-hmm. not to. <laughs> yeah, yes. Impl- implementing important weather-related information into overwrought purple prose is important. Right. And never referring to a woman character by name. Never. She's always she. She. She's the cat's mother. And <laughs> and the men are always their last name. Of course. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Keith. My pleasure. Keith, where can people find you if they want to follow you or get information about what you do? They can find me on Twitter. It's just at Keith Law, K-E-I-T-H-L-A-W. On Facebook, at Keith Law Writer. I also maintain a personal blog I have since 2006 at MeadowParty.com, which includes a lot of my writing on non-baseball topics. And if you're an ESPN Plus subscriber, obviously you can see all of my baseball content there. And thank you to everyone who joined and listened in and tried playing along. (laughs) My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find us at voicesforvaccines.org. And I'm Nathan Boonstruff. Find me on Twitter with the handle of PedsGeekMD or on Facebook or at my blog, PedsGeekMD.com.